Well, this is an interesting episode. We start off being stupid, as is usual, and then Luke takes us into a serious turn as we discuss the end of life of our young friend Katie Garcia, who we both knew from college and who lives here in Houston, about 30 minutes from me, with her truly amazing husband and four kids. Luke at one point mentions a severe mercy, which reminds me of this movie, The Shadowlands, and especially some key scenes in it, which is about C.S. Lewis, a.k.a. Jack, and the passionate poet Joy that he ends up marrying, knowing full well that she will die very soon from a terminal illness. Woven throughout the center of this episode, the movie tracks C.S. Lewis's life, his falling in love with Joy, and his time dealing with her death, especially her son Douglas that she is going to leave behind with Lewis. Apparently, at the time while we were recording this episode, Katie breathed her last. When I woke up the next morning, Facebook posts came pouring in announcing her death. May perpetual light shine upon her. This podcast actually goes on then from there to our thoughts of not just her story, but then we move to discussing death itself, its pain, but also how our culture can abstract us from the full experience of death. Maybe that makes it worse. Maybe it makes it easier. And then we talk about getting older in general, and then how that relates to things like career decisions and a sense of restlessness. And finally, we end where every Catching Foxes episode should end. We complain about ministry and church work and every, how everyone else is sucky compared to us, or at least compared to our own self-image. It's a typical Catching Foxes episode. But as we end, I want you to please consider donating to Katie's Funeral Fund, found in the show notes, to help her awesome husband David handle the expenses, which will probably be in the tens of thousands. Thank you to everyone listening, to everyone supporting us, for walking this road with us. We hope this honors Katie. Uh... We got a new dog. Your second dog? Yep. Why do you have two dogs now? Because we decided to go to PetSmart after Aaron Aaron took her ring to the, the jeweler to get it resized. There was this PetSmart nearby. She wanted to stop by. We did. There was this small, cute black dog. And now we have two dogs. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah. I didn't realize you were rich. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's a rescue, so it only cost. I mean, it'll cost they, us money, but like, they still eat the, a lot of shit. <laughs> the upfront, well, so uh, our other dog, like it, like well, she's pretty small, so we won't go through food as quickly as our other dog does. And our and our, and our other dog, we don't have to buy like that much food. It's more upfront cost. Yeah, okay. So it's like all in all, I'd say probably up front for a new dog, it'll be like 250 bucks. When we got a dog, the lady who gave him to us gave us a envelope with a thousand dollars in cash. Are you shitting me? How to, to spend on getting the dog spayed and neutered and all that, you know, the whole deal. Ugh. And, uh, and our kids were deathly allergic. So we didn't do that. So you just cash you just kept the thousand dollars? No, we gave the dog to the next the next family that wanted it after a week of my kids growing attached to it. <laughs> I remember the picture you posted of Kateri just like so sad outside, so sad. It was such a killer. It I know. Like, my wow. daughter would sit on the deck of her play thing, sit on the thing and just look sad and stare off and cry. 
No one's going to ever accuse a Gormley of being stoic. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Shana. Yeah, what are you kidding? Have you met my wife? No, my wife is extremely emotional. I know, I know. I'm just kidding. I mean, not as much as you. No, my wife is ten times more emotional than I am. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a... Emo- I, I, okay, let me rephrase that. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I am emotional. Nah, I'm done talking. <laughs> I, I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, man. I uh, I had a student tell me one time. She goes, she goes, Mr. Carey, I really like you, but you are so moody. <laughs> and I was like, man, yeah, a lot of ex girlfriends would agree with you on that. <laughs> see, I wouldn't see. That's a distinction. I would not say I'm moody, but I would say I'm dramatic. Yes, I yeah. would. I'm not mood. I do not have mood swings. But man, when I'm in it, I'm in it. I think I'm more moody than dramatic, which is saying something because I can be pretty dramatic. <laughs> I put a <laughs> I put a Facebook post one time, but back in 2008, where it still said like you are or like Luke, you know, like something along those lines. And I put is never going to date blank again. <laughs> <laughs> That didn't go over too well. That was really dumb. <sighs> so, Luke, what are you up to right now? What are you doing? Are you sitting down? Mm-hmm. I just took off my pants because it's really hot in here. Me too. Me too, bro. <laughs> it's, it's really hot. I got this beautiful tower fan that as long as you just turn it to the first setting, it's so quiet it won't get picked up in the background. Oh, that's great. But it's you – know, Can I, I just want to complain about one thing. Why Why do you think we have this podcast? Go on. <laughs> so that I can have an audience. But here's the thing I want to complain about. Why is it that home electronics absolutely must make extraordinarily loud beeping noise when you do something as simple as change a setting? Like, I could understand if this was a fan for those who are legally deaf or whatever – and or they're blind and they can't see the little indicator light moving from one to two to three. But it's like, oh, we're going to this isn't a mechanical fan. This is also an electronic fan. You know how I know it's electronics. <laughs> it has buttons that aren't mechanical buttons. And when you push it, a light goes on and it makes a piercingly loud beep. Listen to this beep. I'm going to go across the room. You're going to hear this beep. Did you hear that beep at all? No, I was, I was about to tell the audience. Everyone pretend that you did not hear a beep. <laughs> Damn, the good quality of this microphone. It's so sound isolating. <laughs> it's so loud that one time I was playing. Uh, so the funniest thing about my about my fan is it operates by remote control. Um, and you can't turn the beeping off. So the funny thing about it is one day I, I bought a new TV without telling my wife. And I came home. As you do. As you do. It was $250 TV. It was, a, it was a TCL 40-inch TV, which is like this weird factory brand from China. Anywho, yeah, yeah. and it has a Roku built in. So I was like, oh, cool, a smart TV with actually a decent operating system. I'll get it. I'll set it up. It's so slow. It's painful. But the funniest thing about it, besides the horrible, horrible remote for the TV, is the volume down button is on the same radio frequency as my fan. <laughs> <laughs> So I would push volume down, and all of a sudden, you would hear beep, 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 and I would, I would, like, wake up the kids, and I'm like, I'm just trying to lower the volume so I don't wake up the kids. 
<laughs> it's stuff like that that drives me insane. So I have another fan. I got it at Costco, and they come with like a big tower fan and then a little buddy fan. And the little buddy fan is purely mechanical with the big buttons on the top. You got to snap down. Mm-hmm. That fan is great because you hook it up to a power strip. Then you walk in, you turn on the power strip, and the fan automatically comes on the setting you want. It's beautiful. Mm. Man. Speaking of great pod podcasting, uh, just kidding. <laughs> Speaking of great podcasting, Luke, we have twenty six thousand three hundred and eighty <laughs> downloads. I should have in one over week under for how long it was going to take you to bring that up. Oh man, I've had this up as soon as we connected on Skype. <laughs> people, people who are listening to Catching Foxes right now, I don't know who you are. Quite frankly, I don't care. Just kidding. To the uh, <laughs> two people in. Uh, Sweden, I say guten tag. <laughs> Sehr gut. Hello, Claudia. Wie geht's? Um, the important... Sweden. We, so we migrated. For those who don't know, last week, I accident, I was trying to experiment to slowly, like, maybe we're going to look at this new service. Hey, really quick. How... Okay, just for the kids. How long ago did I tell you to switch over to... Okay, this, okay. To before, before you... Yes, it was like three months ago. We both oh, signed. Well, we both signed up for the beta when you said, "Oh yeah, you can actually sign up for it." So I signed up for the beta. It it was not it was not ready. Like literally, if you, I go through and I read the news where they post like new features and stuff, and it was not ready for us. So when I finally <laughs> migrated over, I mean, literally, their help files because it's such a small company, their help files are all outdated. Like I'm like, "Oh, Hover has this thing," and I click the link, it takes me to Hover, and it's like, "Look at this link instead." It's, it's horrible, but. The actual service is so beautiful. So instead of going to layevangelist.com slash catchingfoxes, you just go to catchingfoxes.fm. So I want to thank personally the Federated Islands of Manchuria or Montenegro. I don't even know where they are. But thank you, Federated Islands, for giving us your your suffix. Um, I'm not going to lie. Oh, sorry. So like one of the things that we're, we're able to do now is we can track like where are people, like who is listening to us. So it turns yeah. out huge in California, not so much in Vermont. <laughs> Vermont's the only state where we have zero downloads. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's pull this bad boy. Up. See, we have zero in Vermont. Zero. We have some. We have two in Idaho. We have five. <laughs> we have five in New Hampshire. Screw you, Vermont, New Hampshire. Yeah. One yeah. in Maine. One in Maine. Okay, really? here's the deal. If you are a listener and you're from Maine, I want to send you a sticker. <laughs> <laughs> I want to send you a sticker. You have to prove to me that you are from Maine somehow. <laughs> we got 31 people from Australia. Here's my favorite. One from Saudi Arabia. Two from I Iraq. Can I, tell you, can I tell you why it's very interesting that we're in Saudi Arabia? Because Saudi Arabia bans all podcasts in the iTunes store that are explicit. If you have an explicit tag for whatever reason, they don't so care. Should, uh, delete it now. Delete it now. <laughs> Not worth it. My it guess now. is it's clearly the U.S. diplomat to Saudi Arabia in the embassy. Chilling on an LTE line that <laughs> the government doesn't control. Two in Venezuela, seven in Colombia. Olay. Oh, that's racist. Uh, five in Mexico. I know two in Guatemala. Hey, everyone! Everyone from Santa Cruz. That was right. Everyone from Santa Cruz del Quiche. Put your hands up. Put your hands hands up. I've been to Guatemala. I know you have. You you've been talking about it since two thousand one. Because <laughs> I went in the year two thousand. <laughs> now, so it's really cool. So we're able to track a lot of stuff. And now uh, nine nine in Sweden. And now, Chris, I can uh, I can 
actually give you accurate numbers for a super special sponsor that we might have. Yeah, by the way, he's actually upset that you haven't <laughs> replied to his email. <laughs> it was like a month ago. Yeah, he's like, hey, they must really want our money because they <laughs> he's never replied. And I was like, I'll get on that. And then I didn't. Here's, okay, here's what happened. Is I got it when I was in transition. Like I was at the airport. Oh, this email from Chris. When cool. you're going from a, a man to a woman, go on. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I was like, I was at, I just dropped off my car and I was waiting for the bus to come and pick me up at the airport. I was like, great, I will get to this. And then I was like, oh, but like, oh, I'm going to get these stats. And I was like, it's going to be such a pain in the butt. And I got all stressed out. This and is what, what surprised me. This <laughs> is what surprises me. In the United States, 14,000 downloads. 55% of our audience is in California. 10% in Texas. So I think part of the new – yeah, seriously. I'm so surprised by the California thing. Yeah. Hey, California, so, I love you. I would. I love you – yeah, actually, I love all parts of California except for the Inland M Empire. I'm not very excited. I don't know what that is. Republic of Korea. What, what? Yeah. But that so uh, new Captain Fox's drinking game. You have to chug your drink every time Gomer starts to talk about our amazing down the <laughs> You are gonna get so drunk. Oh, it's gonna be awesome. Mm -hmm. Oh man. So anywho, so not to bore you people, but w so I, I switched the website over kind of on accident last Friday. I didn't mean to do it. I was just testing the thing. And apparently I wasn't testing anything. I was actually implementing. And so, uh, yay, small companies that don't explain things well. Oh, well, on March 29th, because it went live, uh, or not that it went live. I started testing it then, and we had one download. On March 31st, which is actually when I published it officially, we had 5,833 downloads. And then every single day afterwards, this basically five to 8,000 people have downloaded. Uh, so now we're at 26,000. Now, this is this is crazy because this is people listening to our back catalog, Luke. Mm -hmm. Th that was at zero five days ago. <laughs> yeah, no, well, because I, I think here's here, – and, and if if I may, this is what I think speaks to the power of podcasts is you can binge yeah. in, like, a good way. You find a thing, you go, oh, I like this. I want, so, like, there are things from – for – Example, there are a lot of podcasts that inspired this one, but if there's anything that really like set the tone for how we wanted to do this, I did be back to work with Dan Benjamin and Merlin Mann. We've talked about it before. Uh, it's a very excellent productivity. I don't, I don't, I don't even know if I would explain that as, yeah. as a productivity podcast. It's more like, hey, how do you like think about how do you think about your work? Yeah, this is the best way. So there's a key difference between those. Uh, those two two uh two things but i've gone back to tons of their episodes that like really kind of oh I, you know i'm really struggling with how do i continue to implement gtd they have like five episodes on that it's phenomenal and just and or and then they actually have episodes where they kind of go well i've kind of like changed out of it but here's what i'm you know implementing from that now and i think it's what's just great about about a podcast is in a in a very special way they are timeless you know not and it it's kind of – I guess it's like a movie in the sense, but like it can be whatever you want it to be in the moment. So if I'm you know, struggling with, let's say, doubt, there's a phenomenal Catholic stuff you should know podcast on um, doubt and hope or like doubt and faith. And it's just timeless. Like I think, it, it, I think that will probably be heard for, in my opinion, decades and decades, long after we're done. 
And uh, yeah, I just think that's why I love the yeah. medium. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah. And the other crazy thing is we also launched um, our Patreon page. And our Patreon page. What's that? Every time we talk about our uh, Patreon page, it's two drinks. Oh, two drinks. Okay. I have, what are you drinking right now? I have uh, the same uh, FC Cincinnati beer. Hmm, can't imagine why you'd have something from Cincinnati. I know, weird, right? Blood Orange I- IPA. Mm. I'm uh, I'm drinking the old St. Arnold White Noise. About done with it, though. Um, I should kill it this this episode. Uh, we have tw- we have 27 patrons who are pledging 322 dollars per month. These are ongoing things. So after your first month. It'll hit your credit card at the first of the, the next month. So whenever you pledge, it hits it like the first of whatever's after that. And the the cool thing about it, and I'm not going to go through all this stuff, but the cool thing is um, Patreon is set up to help people get funded. But the funny thing is it's their goal is to get you at least to $100 in your first month. We hit $322 in our first week or, three, or about, a little, about a week and a half. Put and down so, your blunt smoke at the crunch. <laughs> <laughs> Hate those guys, right? Enjoy your $79, whatever you get. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's horrible. I'm just kidding. Totally just, just kidding. But seriously, we win. We always will. Yeah. <laughs> so that's enough about that. Thank you to everyone supporting. Thank you, everyone, for downloading. And and if you want to support us, our show, uh, patreon.com slash CF, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash CF. And you can get to it super easy by going to catchingfoxes.fm and just click right. donate at the top. Oh, man, you've, you've done a lot of work for this. So you honestly, I, I know that I, I have brought this up before, but you deserve to enjoy the spoil of your toil. Spoil of my toil. Chicka, 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 what? Okay, so I'm going to take it really serious. Let's go. So you brought up St. Saint, Saint Arnold's. And every time I hear that beer, I think of our buddy... Katie Garcia, who at, at this moment uh, is, um, I mean, is, I oh gosh, I can't believe I'm even having to, I don't know how to put this into words. Is, is it wrong to say at the end of her battle with cancer? No, that's, that's, yes, she's, yeah. She's in, she's a dear friend of ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, not, um, I wish I could be like, yeah, we're best friends. We stay really close, you know, but um, her and her husband, David, at least for me and Shannon, have been one of those people that we always return to. They're great people. They're wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, Cameron Frad over at uh, Among the Lilies did an interview with her not too long ago. Last week, she was checked into um, hospice care, and she is dying. They actually thought, uh, I think two days ago, that she would have, that she would have died, but... um, I have been praying like crazy for an insane full restoration healing mm-hmm. nonstop. That's, that was on my mind for so much of mass during the, during the gospel reading. Yeah. It's just that because it's just so like we've – so I met Katie our freshman year, he says, with the question mark because we're oh, the same age. Yeah, yeah. Uh, came to college at the same time, and she was just was such a good buddy of mine in college. And uh, – it um I remember like like so why like where I draw the St. Arnold's connection was we were on this thing called House of Council in college. Think of it as like a Greek life council. 
So we're in charge of all these stupid events that no one really cared about. Uh, and we were like really behind or something. And I don't know, it was just like crazy. And it's just a lot of work. And our buddy Jimmy brought a came into town and brought a cake over to my house because Jimmy's awesome. And so me, me and Katie are at my house trying to put like pudding in balloons. And so we were like a couple drinks into it and either, I don't remember who it was, either her or her, um, her, like her and me came up with the idea to put beer in the pudding. (laughs) So like three fourths of all these balloons had like beer mixed pudding. This thing and the game was like a balloon war where pudding exploded all over everyone and and I just remember like her telling me how that was like that was her favorite beer and so every time like I hear Saint Arnold my mind just goes to her yeah and uh, when you brought that up I was like oh, we just have to say something I don't know what just besides like um you know uh, we've just been praying for her and praying for. David, who is a listener, and I doubt that he's listening this like this week, but I just want you to know that you have our uh, prayers and our support and all of our thoughts and um, just what an amazing example of how to suffer. Like truly, and if you ever want proof of God's existence, it's in things like like this. Such a great witness. Yeah. Um, a real like it's what I think of of when people talk about C.S. Lewis's book that I've only heard about. I haven't actually read a severe mercy. This is a real example of that. Well, she's your friend, of course. But, well, she's not family. She's not my wife. No, of course not. Of course not. It's impossible. It's unthinkable. How could Joy be my wife? I'd have to love her, wouldn't I? I'd have to care more for her than for anyone else in this world. I'd have to be suffering the torments of the damned, the prospect of losing her. I'm sorry, Jack. I didn't know. Nor did I, Harry. You know David is doing what every husband and father does, which is he's watching the woman that he's framed his entire life around slowly drift away painfully at times, but he can't just think about that. He has to think, what am I going to do tomorrow? Do I take the kids to school? How do I get four kids to where they need? They have four children. Mm -hmm. How do I get them to where they need to go? I got to pack their lunches. Now his whole life has to shift to what we call the new normal, and it has to become normal. You know, when our buddy Eric's wife died from um, a yellow jacket sting, uh, utterly devastating. He married the goofiest guy I've ever met, married the sweetest girl I've ever met. And he works with the Secret Service. She took her kids out for a walk after their morning offering and homeschooled all of her kids. And she got stung by a yellow jacket and died quickly. Um, yeah, like spurned a brain aneurysm, I think, or something. Yeah, yeah. And, something and just like ugh. horrific. And, uh, you know, you have to have the new normal. You have to come up with a thing that's totally unlike the thing that went before. And, you, and yet it has to become normal for mm-hmm. you and you know it's it's amazing to me like you know in our age of 
easy divorce and a lot of broken marriages, when you have these thriving marriages where a husband and wife mutually learn to give of themselves to each other, and then one of them dies. No, I don't want to be somewhere else anymore. Not waiting for anything new to happen. Not looking around the next corner, no, the next hill. Here now. That's enough. That's your kind of happy, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. It's not going to last, Jack. You shouldn't think about that now. Let's not spoil the time we have together. It doesn't spoil it. It makes it real. Let me just say it before this rain stops and we go back. What is that to say? That I'm going to die. And I want to be with you then, too. The only way I could do that is if I'm able to talk to you about it now. I manage somehow. Don't worry about me. No, I think it can be better than that. I think it can be better than just managing. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is that the pain then is part of the happiness now. How do you go on? But you know you have to, and you know that you will, and you know that God will sustain you. But it is, the next day is going to be totally different than than today and mm-hmm. you have to figure you have to figure out a way one of the most beautiful things i read recently um or it was uh, it was in a talk actually done on google's campuses by reverend timothy keller he was talking about um meaning in life and he said there are two options if god exists then meaning is discovered if god doesn't exist then meaning is invented and study after study shows that if you are inventing your own meaning and purpose in life, it ultimately is unsatisfying because it comes from you. It's not; It doesn't have an adventure or a pilgrimage or a journey aspect to it. It's just kind of coming from you. But he made this super key point. The secular culture, unlike uh, religious cultures, do, do, make you find your meaning in life in something here, which means suffering can take it away. And every other culture, whether it's Hindu or Islam or Christian, every other kind of religion helps you locate your meaning in life outside of this life so that suffering can actually help you accomplish your meaning in life. But if you're a secular person, suffering will destroy your meaning in life. And secular culture gives its members less resources to deal with suffering than any culture in the history of the world. And we are much more traumatized by it. Because when you're suffering, your pain, like, oh, if you define yourself by being the greatest, you know, artist or being the greatest business person and suffering and pain rips you away from that life, then you lose your sense of meaning and purpose. Mm -hmm. He said, but. In the other way, if it's discovered, if it's given to you by God. Secular culture says you find your identity by looking inside and doing whatever you think you want to do most, and you assert it over and against everybody else. And lots and lots of studies have shown that that kind of identity, which is really unique, it's not the way it works in the rest of the world or in history, makes you incredibly fragile because you you desperately need a kind of recognition that it actually can enslave you. Suffering and pain can actually amplify your purpose. I I agree. Sorry. No, I was just going to say that this... Go on. That in the midst of... The worst that this world can that we can experience in this world, that there is some aspect because we are united to God, there is some aspect that can turn those ashes right into something beautiful. Basically, like even mm-hmm. in the midst of the worst. Now, it doesn't mean the worst doesn't befall us, but it does mean that even in the worst, it doesn't ruin us. It might hurt, but it doesn't ruin. 
I would not agree with the last part. I think it can, but I think it's not, it's never beyond redemption. So, sorry, you're right. It doesn't ever like permanently ruin us, but I think it can definitely like ruin you for a period of time. You know, like there, like, so like when my dad died, the week after was very grace filled. Like I kind of refer to it as like the longest day of my life Yeah, from yeah. the time that he died. until so pretty much when like you guys left from the funeral, we like, I went to a bar and got like lunch afterwards and you guys headed out. And I remember going, I went out with a couple of friends that night and then like the next morning it felt like the day had finally ended, which is a really weird. And, and so I would agree that it, it like, it doesn't like ruin you, but like, I remember that like next day just being like, so this is the new normal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think it does it. And there were times like, I, I, I guess here's, here's the thing about pain is that it isn't linear. You know, it's not like you stop here and then you just go, 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 go. And then you hit this point and it's just like, you don't ever turn back. Like it's right. very much like a crazy, like just like a kid's insane drawing at times. Now, I think when you stand back and you see the big picture, you know, is linear, I guess. But there were definitely times when I can point towards like periods of my life where it's like, oh, I did this because I was like, just like I was wrecked, Yeah, yeah. you know, because I didn't like, you know, I mean, they're like, to be honest, there have been times when I've had to go back to Dayton for work and I don't have a home to go to. So like trying to imagine like this place that you grew up your in your entire life till you were 25 and you are there now for the first time in like five years and you have nowhere to go. Yeah, this is if, and this is a really stupid example, but it's weird. And it like the pain that like came with that, that the first time that, that 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 happened was like awful. It was like going, it was just having to like experience it all over again, you know, which is fine. Like that's, but it's, I, I just wouldn't, I mean, I, I do agree with that quote. I guess sometimes I just get a little bit. Um, it sounds. It can sound like you're glossing over the pain, yeah, and I don't yeah, mean that it, in any way. No, no, yeah, I, yeah, and but and like that's. I guess that's a kind of my. This is like, in like a weird way why I wanted to do the podcast because it gets back to like some of the issues I have with a lot of things we do within the Catholic world. Was we speak in such grandiose platitudes, yeah, that it tends to lose any sort of concrete reality. Yeah. Good evening, Jack. Yeah. I wasn't going to come, but then I thought I would. Life must go on. I don't know that it must, Harry, but it certainly does. I'm sorry, Jack. Thank you, Christopher. We're all deeply sorry. Thank you, President. Anything I can do? Yes, uh, just don't tell me it's all for the best, that's all. Only God knows why these things have to happen, Jack. God knows, but does God care? Of course. We see so little here. We are not the creator. No, no. We're the creatures, aren't we? We're the, we're the rats in the cosmic laboratory. I've no doubt that the experiment is for our own good, but uh, it still makes God the vivisectionist, doesn't it? Jack. No! It won't do. It's this bloody awful mess, and that's all there is to it. I'm sorry, Harry. I'm sorry, Christopher. She's not fit company tonight, that's all. So I don't know. I'm, this, I'm, this, I'm, I'm, I'm being really mean right now, but so yes, I, I, I completely agree that without God, 
they can, I don't know how people get through it. I really don't. I and mean, that's when I've experienced God the most because yeah. I went from complete, not complete doubt, but like really struggling with like WTF, what is all of this? Yeah. And then like the minute I found out it was the most faithful I had ever been. Like my faith had never been so all encompassing yeah. and, and like such the, it was so ingrained to the fabric of my life during that week. <sighs> Heavy stuff, man. My wife found out right before we went on a family retreat this last weekend, she found out that a young man who, for those of you who don't know, St. Lawrence is a church in Sugarland, Texas, and it is a very unique church. Um, we interviewed Maria Walther. Her husband used to be, um, used to work there. Um, my wife was, uh, his boss, boss, I don't know if he's called that, but, um, co-worker with him um, in youth ministry and all this stuff. Very um, wonderful church, has the personality of the pastor, Father Drew, stamped on that place. And Father Drew loves Life Team and, you know, loves especially the young people of the church. And there was a young man with a wonderful family, the Richards, and Jacob uh, developed this, um, basically it's a genetic disorder or whatever that started when, I believe it started manifesting when he was four and it kind of is like a Lou Gehrig's disease. I think it's called Duchenne's. I might be wrong in that, but um, what essentially happens is, you know, his body starts to shut down and he wasn't predicted to live past 13. Now my wife used to go over and watch this, this kid Jacob when he was younger in elementary school. Uh, so her, his parents could go away. Right. So they're, mm -hmm. you know, as caregivers, you know, you take care, yeah. you take care. It's good to have something, someone that you trust that you can get away from. So anyway, my wife, she, when she found out he died and he was at the age of 20, so they thought he wouldn't even make it to 13. He lived to be 20. His, um, it was, it was, my wife told me the story. She said, you know, I used to go over and watch him and they would have like a weekend getaway or whatever. And she said, and I'll never forget the last time I was supposed to watch him. His mom called me crying saying, his legs don't work. We canceled our trip. Don't worry about coming over. I mean, as a parent, Ugh. right? You real one day, you know, you realize your kid, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't, he can't walk straight. He can't, he can't his legs can't bear a lot of weight. You know, maybe he's assisted with, you know, this or that thing. Mm -hmm. But then at one point he just, his legs stop. There is so much in a parent's heart. Now, when I heard that before I was married, and especially before I had kids, I would have been like, oh, my gosh, that's so awful. Now I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, no. Like, it tears you up inside. It's a nightmare, yeah. It's a nightmare. And, you know, and when you start to work with people that have this stuff going on, like, you realize there's nothing you can give them other than your love and support. And, but you have to give something, right? You, can, you can't fix the situation, but you can't also ignore the family. I think actually Maria Walther, when we had her on, that was the beautiful thing about her witness is so many people ignore the baby that was miscarried. And she mm -hmm. writes a handwritten letter or whatever it is to the mom on the day that baby was, you know, the, the due date for the yeah. baby. She was, a, I mean, when Aaron had our, um, we had our miscarriage, she was incredible. I mean, I can't, I cannot put into words how great a Maria was and the things that she sent us handwritten notes, beautiful. Like I think she sent Aaron either a bracelet or a necklace, like just like really, I mean, a, like a great prayer book. I mean, just, it was 
unreal, unreal. Um, one thing I do want to add, if we can put this into the show notes, there's a campaign to basically help pay for the cost of KT's, of yeah. her funeral. Uh, we, I think we both gave to the other uh, cam campaign for her. We're going to give um, to this one as well. This is just sort of really, I think I met, I think I met David before, but I, um, just, if you can, you can spare five bucks. Like, don't give to us for a month or whatever if, if that's what it takes. Sorry, um, but like, uh, yeah, totally. please, please, like, just pray about it. just like five bucks, ten bucks. This is um, this is one of the churches. Um, the this is this is a great concrete thing that you can do. Or if you happen to know anyone who's going through a thing like that, please give because I think that's you know that stuff's big. It's really really big. Uh, and it's hard and to not have to worry about those things. I can just attest from when my dad died, just people took care of like all the little small details that my mom and, and like, we just weren't in a, in a place psychologically where we could do that. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't even, yeah. So no, I was just going to say one of the key things of a community like, people always say, like, oh, it's so hard for me to deal with funerals. Like, I don't know what to do. You know what you need to do? You need to show up. You need yep. to show up early or on time. You need to say, how can I help? Is And you don't need to say, it's like a wedding. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people walk up to the bride or the groom on the, like, at the wedding being like, hey, uh, what's going on? Like, it's not time to chit-chat. It's not, you, you, this is what you do. You step in and you help, Right. You step in and you help. One of the things is you need to be present. Your presence is gift enough. You don't have to say the perfect thing. Get that out of your mind. You're not going to take away the pain with your awesomely selected words. Jack? Yes? Your grief is your own business. Maybe you feel life is a mess. Maybe it is. But there's Douglas. What about Douglas? Talk to him. I don't know what to say to him. Just talk to him! What you will do is show them that I will weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. God dwells close to the brokenhearted. I'm going to do, I'm not going to shy away from you because you're brokenhearted. When my mother died, I was your age. I thought that if I prayed for her to get better, and if I really believed she'd get better, then she wouldn't die. But she did. It doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. I don't care. I loved your mother very much. Perhaps I loved her too much. She knew that. She said to me, is it worth it? She knew what it would be like later. Doesn't seem fair, does it? I don't see why she had to get sick. No, no, me. But, uh, you can't hold on to things, Douglas. You have to let them go. Jack? Mm-hmm. Do you believe in heaven? 
Yes, I do. I don't believe in heaven. That's okay. I sure would like to see her again. When our friend Matt died, what did we do? All of us, I mean, it was so bizarre, but it was also so perfect. For those who could make it to his parents' house for the funeral, we spent all night basically in vigil, weeping and crying with the family. And laughing and sharing crazy Matt stories and all this stuff. But the thing is, we're so nervous with with all of this stuff that we don't even do that. And so the -hmm. first thing you do... As you show up, the second thing you do, you don't have to ask. Just start making things happen. Oftentimes we ask because we want someone to notice the good deed that we're doing, right? Like, hey, would you like another glass of water? Of course they'd like another glass of water. Just get them the damn water and give it to them, right? Of course you can take out their trash if it's overflowing. Just do it, right? So this is just make a meal. Or if you know of the meal list, do that. I would agree. Like, I mean, like, I'm like, even just the the small things, like I loved it when people brought it up to me. Yeah. I I know it sounds so weird, but like, just like the text message and the Facebook messages. I mean, I I remember I got a Facebook message from a girl that I went to grade school with. I had not seen, I, I mean, I had seen her around, but I hadn't like really talked to her since I was eight. And, but our parents were in the same like church group and it, it was just really cool. Like she messaged me, yeah. you know, it was re- it was really, really, really nice. So yeah, just telling them if you, if like you pass them in the store, just saying, Hey, I'm so sorry to hear about your, you know, your dad or your, your grand, your grandpa, you know, just like, it's just nice. It yeah. really does. It's, it, it goes a long way. So, well, cause you're acknowledging the hurt that they're going through without making them feel bad you're offering consolation yeah and and you don't have there i've met people who are like oh is that hard for you can we talk about that you don't it's not about talking about it right because you're again you're not there to take away their pain you're there to offer a word of comfort and then if they wanted to go let them lead it like i mean when your father died the the idea is you know someone comes up and they say like hey man i heard about this i'm sorry for your loss um, if there's anything you need, you know, I'll be praying for you. I'll be sending you good thoughts, good vibes, you know, whatever that someone said recently to me. Um, I, you know, you do that and then you let them take the lead, right? You don't need to talk about it because some people aren't ready to talk about it. You need to respect that, mm-hmm. but you also don't want to pretend like it didn't happen. And the pretending like it didn't happen when it's like the elephant in the room is, is even more worse because then everyone just kind of feels awkward. Mm-hmm. One time, yeah. one, and I'll tell you, I did the, I did this one time. Uh, I, I just wasn't thinking. I was at the funeral for this guy's brother, and I said, so how you doing? And he goes, how do you think? 
And I was like, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. I just meant, I'm sorry for your loss. And <laughs> yeah. like, I totally, I totally, you know, and it wasn't that I was, I, I literally, I mean, his open or his closed casket was right there. And he, the family was standing off to the side. And I said that, and I was like, oh, wow, I'm such an idiot. And I still kick myself for that. So how you how you doing? Like I didn't say it like that, but I was just like, uh, and, and this was a kid that I have known fairly well, and so I was like, "Hey man, how are you doing?" And he's like, "How do you think I'm doing?" <laughs> oh, oh no! Oh. But that's a good point that someone bringing it up to people, like not being afraid to. Yeah, and, and I mean, if you screw up, like don't. I would say too, like I mean, yeah, it sucks, it's awkward, but it's like, what do you? Do? I mean, you're just we're trying to, you know. But that's like, and this kind of like goes into like the next thing that I wanted to to talk about. We can keep going on and on about that. I got tons of stuff. Um, uh, but just like the older we get, like the more this keeps happening, and I'm just like f- getting old sometimes. Yeah. yeah, I really mean that. Like there's sometimes when I'm like, I just, but this is hard. And I know it sounds stupid, but like, there's just, uh, um, this gets like scary sometimes. Are, are you ever like scared of getting old? Like, like, do you like dread it or do you like ever like, like, I mean, like, and I really don't mean this in some sort of immature, like, doesn't it suck that we can't just play pod racing all day? And it does. And it does. Um, Make no mistake. <laughs> like, That's true. Uh, <laughs> I'm a good game, but man, the hours you can spend on pod racing, the only good thing to come out of the prequels. That's absolutely right. And a big turnout here from all corners of the Outer Rim Territories. It, uh, like, I don't know. I just, like, sometimes I really struggle with it. I'm just like, I don't know if I like this. Well, my question is, what are you going to do about it? No, I know. And, like, there's there's not because it's it's not about the fact that it's happening, if, if we're really being honest. It's not about that. It's more about, like, understanding what the consequences are. Yeah, you know, and I think I talked about about this before in here, but just the fact that if I really do the math, I'll probably see my I'll only I have like, you know, only like thirty two. I'll I'll probably spend so by the time that she, my mom passes away, which God forbid that ever happens, but I'll probably only spend you know thirty plus days with her. If you really think about it, given the fact that I'm out in Ohio and she's in Arizona. Yeah. And that's for me that like is gut wrenching. Yeah. You know, and just the fact that like our friends are dying. Like this happens. This happens now every freaking couple years. A person from college that we know, sometimes it's a person that we are extremely close with and sometimes it's not. But someone that we know dies. And this is probably just going to keep happening. And it, it might pause for a bit, you know, here and there. But this is going to keep like it's I there's some stat that I read like by the time you hit the age of 45, like something like one of every like eight people that, you know, are dead or something just just because of, 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 of like life, like yeah. car accident, cancer. And I don't know, man. I don't like it sometimes. Uh, I really don't. I don't I don't either, but you know, one of the interesting things about studying philosophy was like this understanding uh, of the ancient Greeks that they had that there's a time in your life for this, there's a time in your life for that, and as you get older the the the, the bios of life, the physical aspect of life, as that dwindles down, your intellectual life should be ramping up 
to the point where when you're an old man, you're a contemplative, essentially, right? You contemplate. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. But one of the things that in our culture that we've done is I, I always do this. I have this youth ministry thing. If you go to projectym.org, there's a – I think it's still like a free video that I do on the history of youth ministry. And it's like the last hundred years of youth ministry. And in youth culture in America, it used to be youth culture was nothing. Like there was no youth culture. You were children and then you were adults and it was an adult culture. But then in the 80s and 90s, it flips. And now youth culture is the dominant thing and adults serve youth culture. And so I think one of the most terrifying things about being in America today is how terrified we are of death, dying, and getting older. It's not just a normal like, oh, I think I think I make noises now when I get up and when I sit down. You know, it's it's this whole thing of like I'm not a kid anymore. But I mean, I think if you really do look at history, though, I mean, so there are there are two aspects to this, at least in my mind right now. One is the immature youth culture part, where it's like, holy crap, gray hairs. Can't go to the club now, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, and then there's the, oh, my gosh, my friends are dying. Yeah. You know, and I think if you look at history, that's painful regardless of what time period you're in. Yeah, it's painful. But in a previous time period, then now uh, death was all around them. Yeah, but and it, now, it doesn't but, mean that it was any like less painful. Though. No, no, no. I'm not saying that was anything less painful, but they knew it. They experienced it. They understood it in ways that for now, death is abstracted away from us. Like, yeah. I, have never, I have never seen a person die. I've seen a dying person, but I've never seen them actually die. My grandfather died after I visited him about six hours later when I was on my way to a confirmation retreat in the middle of nowhere. And I got a phone call saying your grandfather died. I've been with people near death but I have, and, and people right after they've died. But I've never been with – now, imagine you're – at any other time in history, infant mortality. Like, I was in Honduras. We do mm-hmm. this mission trip in Honduras in the mountains where no one goes. And there's this, this whole group of people – this was this last year trip I didn't go on. But it's a whole group of people walking with this mom and this sheet. And it turns out the sheet was her infant baby. Baby got a fever, got a cold, cold turned into pneumonia, baby died. Because mm-hmm. there's no way to save that baby. Parents didn't understand what was going on. Mm-hmm. They're just surrounded with it. Mm-hmm. And we, like, we're never, like, I, I mean, I have friends that work in hospice care, and they say that people will just stand there and be like, it's like they won't even mention death. They won't say their goodbyes, which is what the dying person wants, because everyone's scared to talk about it. Whereas mm-hmm. I think in the past, yes, it still killed you. I'm not minimizing that. But we weren't as, we weren't as afraid of it. We weren't. We talked about it. We saw it all the time. And the further back you go, when you go into pagan time, death was... Death was your daily bread. This is Game of Thrones shit we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, think about it. Crucifixion yeah. outside. Like, if you lived in, in the Roman Empire and your people got uppity, they crucified you publicly to show you. I mean, there was – you look at pictures in, like, the Civil War time, right? Mm-hmm. All these people, the whole town would gather to watch someone get executed. You know, like – yeah, no, 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 no. yeah, it's true. I – I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't think I don't think you are doing this, but I, I just think there's a tendency to like, well, it's just life. I'm like, yeah, and it sucks. Yeah, because like you know, and I, I think just trying, and yeah, I would agree. Like that's you, you, there. There is a difference in the sense that we're not having to experience it as as 
as much. So we are more, we're more sensitive to it. I think we're more prone to be devastated by it. See, I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, I'm not saying that people in the past weren't devastated by death, getting older, losing faculties. Are you talking more about the idea of death or an actual death? Well, you know, I don't know. I don't know because, I mean, if the average life expectancy is 35 or 40 years old, you're going to see death a lot more. You know, and, and depending on where you live, you're going to see death a lot more often of people that you know. I'm not saying that doesn't crush you. What I am saying is the – like if let's say your wife or your mother, someone close to you, is dying of a longer illness, right? I don't just mm-hmm. mean dying of, an, of a longer illness. You're not running away from it. You can't run away from it. They're in your house every day. Now we can put them in – you know, you got old folks in – retirement communities and they go into nursing homes and you know they die in a nursing home or an intensive care unit it's abstracted instead of us being right there with them and being able to say you're sorry and being able to you know I, i've shared this before but i had a i dated a girl in college who who did this um she had a death dying and bereavement class and the whole point of it for sociology the whole point of it was you know to experience you actually went and stood and watched families watch their loved ones die and she said, and I said, Annie, how are you doing this? And how, how, the conversation was, how do you want to die? And she said, oh, I hope it's a long, painful illness. I'm like, what? She said, that way I can, we can all get everything squared away. And when I die, there's no baggage left. <laughs> She's like, I look at these people who die in two days, and there's so much left unsaid. And family yeah. members couldn't travel out. And, you know, when your dad passed, the beautiful thing was that you were there. Yeah, no, it it really is a miracle. And when really, and have, yeah, have, I told you, I'm sorry. Keep going. No, I, I just want to say this one thing. When Matt died, you just couldn't be there. You couldn't. You couldn't go to the funeral. It was impossible for you to go to the funeral. You were there when he was alive, which is, I think, is the better deal. Um, no, I also think that that was a miracle as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think but, those are both miracles. Right, but imagine if you if you weren't there for your dad. You know, the, the mm-hmm. experience of being close. And in the old days, w- without technology and travel and all this stuff, you lived and died five miles before you were born. Where you, Five miles in the radius of where you were yeah. born. Like every, the whole, almost all of humanity did that. And your, your, your loved ones died in your home or maybe at an inn close by. They didn't die three states over in an institution. You know, that's what I'm saying. So death wasn't unfamiliar, but of course it destroyed you. I mean, that's what I mean. But I, yeah, and it's it's just weird. How, like I've always assumed well, I was going to get old. You know, I just kind of assumed like, yeah, I'll get old. Like I'll be an old person, just like my great grandparents. I hope I'm as awesome as them when <laughs> I get old. Like my great grandma was the shit. She was amazing. I love that one. This is my actually they both were. I was I was I was actually blessed to know four great grandparents. Oh man, like, how crazy is that? I only knew like, one grandparent. One, oh, yeah, that's right. One grandparent. Oh, yeah, I couldn't my imagine. My grandmothers both died when I was one. My grandfather, my paternal grandfather was a lout, and he died when I was like five or four. Never met him. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my mom's dad was the one who died. He lived with my parents for a long time before he died. So, I mean, yeah, like I danced with my grandmother at, at uh, my wedding, you know? So did like, I. 
<laughs> no, remember when everyone like she got in the circle and everyone was chanting her name? It was awesome because <laughs> uh, my grandma's a shit. Uh, um, but it just uh, and I, I'm starting to I, I, I guess and like I like I and I and I have known people who have died, but I feel like I'm getting to a point now where I'm like, oh, this isn't guaranteed. I'm just now starting to see like this isn't guaranteed that like you're gonna be here. You know, it's not, and it's not guaranteed that like our friends are going to, you know, like I think to like our household brothers and mathematically one of them is probably going to die in the not too distant future. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, like yeah. I'm talking like 10, 15 years, not, you know, twice as long, yeah. 30 to 40 years, you know? And it's just like, Oh, I, uh, <laughs> you know, and just in like world and like, you know, just like little itty bitty dumb things and kind of going back to the whole, like, you know, getting old thing, like we're older than the majority of professional athletes, you know, which is just, yeah. that's not, it's, it's, it's not a big deal. And it's, it's, I'm not trying to like, Oh, boo hoo hoo. Poor you. I just mean like, you know, I'm getting old now, you know, and this, um, you know, we're of the age where I think we do have to start to question, is this the right career path for me? Oh, my <laughs> goodness. Yes. We absolutely like we're, we're, we're idiots if we're not doing that. You know, if you like one of the reasons why I didn't want to go, why I felt the pull. And this actually goes into a question we were um, asked, like Facebook, like, like, how do you break, in, um, you know, in to ministry? I came into it, you know, kicking and screaming. But like only is why I didn't want to do it. I, I think I remember having this conversation with either like you or with Kissinger or someone. I was just like, I'm 31. <laughs> you know, just become a youth minister at 31. Yeah. Like, you know, like that's <laughs> absurd. And I, I, you know, and I just was like, so like, what the, f like, are you joking? Oh no, God, no, God, please. No, 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 no. God, is this really what you want? You want me going into ministry? Are you serious? You know, and it's, I don't know anyone who's in, who's our age, who's, you know, in ministry, who if you went to their heart of hearts would probably have a different job. <laughs> you know, being, I think it was you quoting, uh, was it Karen Reynolds? Do you know Karen Reynolds? Uh, I've talked to her once. If was it's it, who I think you're talking about. Yeah. Someone said, What's the difference between ministry now and then when back in the oh, day? When... No, no, it was me, but it wasn't Karen Reynolds. It was a person from that I may know from a certain place where I might work. Okay. And they said, now it's a career choice. Yeah. And I think about that because when you said, you know, getting older and you're like, oh, is this what I want to do? Honestly, what is driving me right now, like my whole life, I have geared myself towards working for the church. I don't know what I, I, I legitimately do not know what I would do if tomorrow my boss is like, listen, we're going to take adult faith formation in a new direction. We prefer people who don't know how to give amazing talks and change people's lives. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we prefer those who don't have podcasts that could cause scandal. <laughs> we uh, prefer those who don't drop the F-bomb in the middle of drinking a lot of alcohol. <laughs> um, but one of the big things is... Like, I have literally spent my entire life pointing towards one career, doing one career, mm -hmm. and that career is church. And so much of my heart is like, but church isn't a career. 
It's not a career. It's a it's an apostolate. It's a ministry. It's the work of God. You you have to. There's aspects of it that you have to kind of pull back from. And so the other day I was thinking, okay, let's say my prayer life tanks, and according to the soul of the apostolate, I need to quit my job right now. Yep. To whom shall I go? Yeah. And you know, and it's weird. And then I feel like when I'm in a spot when like my prayer life is is awful and I start to break it, I feel guilty for doing so because sometimes it is motivated by the fact that I'm like, I know my job's gonna suck. Yeah. It's not out of like love for now. I, I think God works through that. And I think God can like turn I mean it ultimately is for love for God, but it's you know, like there's just so many times where I've just thought because I'm I really like honestly I haven't been in both Catholic education and this and in ministry there's a, it's very similar very very similar in terms of just your disposition and yeah. a lot of the temptations and the trials and all the stuff and uh it's i mean really like what applies to one really does apply to the other and it oh, crap what was my point well, that was that. That was awesome. Good job, Luke. I just totally lost my thought. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I don't know what I was going to say. It's gone. I was, I was, I thought it was good. Well, my biggest thing right now is trying to figure out how I can feed my family and maintain a. So basically, when I when I look at my career now as a career, I say to myself, okay, where where do I want to die? Where do what hill do I want to die on? Number one, but where mm-hmm. do I where do I want to die? And then looking back at my life, like he worked in a parish, I think it's more honorable for me to work in a parish, this parish that I'm at now, all the days of my life, because I've invested in one place. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. But then there is this part of me that says, what I need to do though is I need to go out and do things like parish missions, youth catching ministry foxes. events, yeah. all this yeah. stuff and catching foxes and other and other things because <laughs> what other things? I know, right? Well, right now there is no other thing. <laughs> Take but, that, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole notion, the whole notion of mm-hmm. um seeing that that maybe the Lord isn't calling me to be in one place. And I don't mean the Lord isn't calling me because I'm getting fussy at being at one place. I I mean, in a legitimate Mm -hmm. way, like there is a call in my heart to use this internet thing and travel thing in order to bring people closer to Christ, but not in a crusade way, somehow an ongoing, enduring way. Maybe Christ is calling me to prison ministry full time. Maybe, you know, there's all this tugs on my heart and I'm just like, and this is the thing I said to myself literally this morning as I'm going to the bathroom. But, Lord, I'm 34. I'm almost middle-aged. This is it for me. And now for me at that time it was, so I better double down on my interior life so I can be a better minister. But <laughs> but this notion – but I can't think of – I mean there's so much of my time in ministry where I wasn't actively praying. I thought doing what I was doing was good enough. But like part of that is just you're you were just young and dumb and you were in a stupid household that everyone had like the same idea of like oh we'll be fine. <laughs> Fact. <laughs> you know, like, Fact. So like, I, I mean like yeah I agree but like that's part of it's just like growing up. Yeah, it's true. But now I you know and this is one of the things yeah you know, we've said this before like 
so many people by default think, oh, I'll go to a parish. But a parish requires, you might want to do youth ministry, but then you have to discern where do I want to do youth ministry mm-hmm. because by default a parish is, working at a parish takes its own discernment. Now, that being said, there's a, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's going on because I really honestly feel like, like maybe the Lord is calling me to walk away from ministry full time so that I can get a jobby job mm-hmm. and do this on the side of a mm-hmm. jobby job where the jobby job would have nothing to do with this and who I am. You know, if you were working for like, you know, a local die cutter, they wouldn't give a crap that you're doing catching boxes. You could say your last name. It wouldn't matter. Like they don't care. But the fact that we work for the church and everything we do and say is immediately imputed back on the institution that we work for. Mm-hmm. There's uh, views expressed by the host of the show do not necessarily reflect the views of their <laughs> employers. There's so much of that that, that like, ah, you know, and, but as I'm getting older, I'm afraid that I'm leaving what I should be doing behind for what I am doing now. I think there's a lot of people in who are in um, in ministry, especially our age, who think, wouldn't I be better if I was at a different job and just a volunteer? Because you feel – I think there's this weird guilt that gets attached with this because we're being paid for it. Or it feels like it's fake because we have to wear like a tie and do ministry, which makes no sense to me. But, you know uh, – yeah, no, and I, I've, I've been there. There have been times where I thought, like, wouldn't it be better if I worked in sales or just, like, subbed and did this? <laughs> like, you know, and, like, really tried, tried to devote the time. and Like, what would you do? Honestly, I would run a consulting firm for businesses to help them integrate millennials into their workforce. Mm-hmm. Because do you I, think you have, do you think you have like the in, in, enough expertise in order like to do that? So, so it's yeah, like worthwhile. A, a guy in a Fortune 500 company, after hearing a presentation that I did, was like, "Oh yeah, I want to hire you to do this as a consultant, not an employee, but as a consultant, and I'm willing to pay you a large amount of money to do it." Because in all my years of working, I've never encountered a group of people that are impossible to a sell to and b work with. So mm-hmm. if you can figure out how to do either one or both, I will pay you a large amount of money. And this guy was thinking <laughs> tens of thousands of dollars in order to help their company do this. And another guy who is kind of like – he's a church guy, a mentor of mine. I really respect him. Uh, his name's Mitch. And I was talking to him about it. He's like, I have the same problems. <laughs> he's like, come. He's like, I'm, I belong to like a consortium of small business people. I want you to talk to all of them about it. And I'm like – Oh, I got to do so much research now. <laughs> but a lot of it is I was the, I'm the youth minister of that generation and now when they all became adults, I'm now doing adult ministry and mm-hmm. I see exactly what all of them are talking about. Um I, I have countless stories of stuff uh, of all of this stuff. Worth, it's just going to get worse with Generation Z. Oh, absolutely. I think I don't know what I would do. I mean, I would probably go back to Catholic education. But um, I don't know. I don't know. My so I, I I've gotten real into like the whole the whole strength finders thing. Oh man, that is so funny, Luke. I hate SWOT analysis. You is Luke. I love strength finders. No, because I think there is something to be said about that. Okay, I don't. Here's the thing. 
really quick. This is all I'm going to say. It's and I just, I just want to point out that your refrigerator sounds like your cell phone is getting an Amber Alert. Oh, blah, Go blah, on. Blah. Go you, on. fix it in editing. Um, <laughs> I, I can't. That's literally impossible. If people don't like it, give to our patrons. I can buy a mic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. There's all I can do about it. Um, uh, la, 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 la. Well, what was I going to say? Um, so, yeah, I would probably go into sales. Not project management. No, because I, I was, I was, I like thought about that. And there are parts of it that I really do like. Like, I like. I'm really good at getting people pumped up and explaining what needs to happen. I got four words for you. I love this company. Yes. Like, I'm really, really, really good at that. And I do understand. But there's are parts of, uh, there's a lot of project management that I've seen that's just, like, so, like, admin-oriented. And that's shit I just hate. Yeah. Like, I like it, but it doesn't come natural to me. And I really just, like, I need someone to do it for me or I can count on, or just, like, hold me accountable. And if that was my whole job, I think I'd have a really hard time with that. Yeah. So I'm what you call an influencer. Oh. The strength field. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Oh, could, did you believe that one of my strengths is ideation? Yeah, yeah. My okay. So my top five are actually we were asked to actually talk about this about what are our ENFP whatever that bullshit is. Um, the that's um, Myers Briggs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you know what your Myers Briggs is? No, I didn't do that. Okay, I I did mine mine like a while ago. Um, apparently, I should have been an analyst. Um, <laughs> think about it. Uh, so, anyways, like so, my top five, just in case anyone's curious, is communication, restorative, action achiever, and significance. YouTube watcher, that's one of my strengths. <laughs> <laughs> Marvel comic breakdowner. <laughs> I remember one time at St. Lawrence when I was the middle school youth minister, I sat there with a guy and explaining the entire plot of Civil War well before the movies were announced. And he sat there and he fell asleep while I was talking. And I go, well, I guess this is boring you. And he goes, oh, man, I'm so sorry. No, it's just. It's just so much detail. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, you but Aaron, like, at times I feel like I married you because Aaron's like the same way. At times, I wish you'd married me, but those stubborn <laughs> laws. <laughs> Why well, couldn't 2005 be 2016? Oh, <laughs> uh, strength finder. Yeah, who knows? Hey, like, like honestly, in my dream world, my dream, dream job, I really, I, I do like what I'm doing right now. I really do. So I'm very, very happy with it. But, like, my dream job would be some sort of Catholic apostolate doing what we're doing right now. But I don't know what that, but that wouldn't necessarily have to look like a podcast. I don't know what that would be. It also have like to be it. a YouTube channel. Donate $800 or more a month <laughs> to our Patreon. But like, I, I don't mean, but like, you know what? Honestly though, here's, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to, to bring this up. I think that thought is actually at times not, all the times, although perhaps it is, that's a chidia. Of what? What is? That idea of like, what else could I be doing? What if I was doing? You know, oh, like, like busyness. Elsewhere. Could of, I be? Yeah. yeah. 
instead of just being, this is where I am. Like I felt a lot of peace when I finally went, you know what? We're in Cincinnati for a while. Yeah. We're going to be here. Here's the deal, man. Set down roots. People you have, don't chase careerism. Don't chase the dollar set down roots. There's so much in ministry where I want uh, number one social justice. I want to get paid what I uh, what I should be, but outside of that, there is this element where I want to use the apostolate to make money, and that is so dangerous to me that I have an allergic reaction to it when I start doing it. Like unjust. Like if I write a book and then sell a book and then you know, so I expect people to pay me. I'm not going to give them away. You know, whatever. But there's this element where I feel like. I never want to nickel and dime people for the gospel. And in my own in my own life right now, um, I totally understand what you're saying about that, that, that notion of, like, not being content. And so I'm looking at this guy, and he's talking, and I said, you're rootless, man. You are totally rootless. You, have, you and your spouse have all these achievements, but you have no roots. You have no people that would die for you in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, that honestly speaks to how the gospel, I think so often people want to go, oh, you just have like a God, you have like a God, you have this like God shaped all or some other Protestant like bullshit. Um, Hey, 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 that was Soren Kierkegaard who coined that. Okay. Though a Protestant, not a bullshitter. Sorry. But anyways, I actually think there's a problem with that because it actually limits evangelization to belief and proclamation. And if you look at Pope Paul VI on evangelization in the modern world, he actually talks about how it's actually very com it's a very complex thing. And one of the parts that like that like we miss is it's supposed to be about the trans the transformation of of the human person and of the culture and blah blah blah, and I think that's what it's getting to. Like what you like, you're like hitting at is that it's not just about like oh, you just have to like have God and like you're fine. It's like no, you have to have God, and then you have to allow Him to change your life. Yeah, yeah. You know, Soren Kierkegaard is the one that coined the the phrase "you have a God shaped hole in your heart," and what he meant by that is we try to fill it with anything and everything but God. Yeah, and, and it will always. I agree with that. Right, right, right. But it will always leave us unsatisfied. Now, uh, in the 1950s and 60s, Francis Schaeffer comes along, uh, brilliant Protestant living in, I think, Switzerland where he settled down. But a brilliant guy said, though we do have a God shaped hole in our hearts, we also have a human shaped hole in our hearts that only other people in community with us can fill. See, so far because i think really ultimately it's god who's going to do that by by he's going to make the human person more human yeah john paul dude yeah but <laughs> yeah okay so let's go jp2 bro you open the doors <laughs> let's walk through it one okay, you phrase have, you the, have 15 seconds the communio personarum a cornerstone of trinitarian theology it is not good for man to be alone the whole original solitude of adam was to show him that though he's a part of this world he's made for something more than animalia animals right and so the purpose is the community of other persons is how we complete the image of god it's not good for man to be alone we do have the human shape on our hearts so yes no, god no, is I, god is I, the I ultimate fulfillment but god chooses to express that fulfillment through other people 
Yeah, I know. I, t- I totally agree. I was just being a jerk. I'm sorry. Luke, damn it. You have made this episode so stressful for me. <laughs> Every turn, you're like, I don't really agree, but I kind of agree. You're going to have to figure out which parts. <laughs> no. Guess what? Suffering's real. I said suffering was real, but not real enough. Talking like metal real. <laughs> Hey, can we talk about the National Catholic Federation of Youth Workers and their shitty website? Oh what? Why? Okay, listen. Let's, listen. Go, let's go find this online. Let's do it. People, yeah, this is ridiculous. Okay, so tonight we got a text message from a fan of the show, maybe. I don't know. Uh, National Catholic. And he said, this is the worst. Is a Federation Youth Ministry? Um, he said, this is literally the worst facebook ad i've ever seen this is a guy with a lot of experience doing facebook ads and it said what was the line i'm gonna pull it up on my text message right now uh it said this is how it went and the award for the worst facebook (laughs) facebook ad ever goes to the national federation for catholic youth ministry it's a bunch of kids with goofy hats and glasses on cheering for a camera or something there are so many things with that that are like fundamental wrong youth like youth ministry things one is trying to treat teens like a bunch of idiots who just like wacky stuff because they're like hormonal and you know pubescent but the best part is under the fun yeah they are diverse it says literally visit nfcym.org and check out the new web functionality of our temporary online space. You tell Terry, and you did not hit, hit, hit the church hard after post-Vatican II at all. <laughs> check out the new web functionality of our temporary online space. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. All, all I'm going to say, uh, NFCYM, if you want to be taken, okay, never mind. <laughs> and then you responded, what? Te- teens love wacky hats. And then the guy who sent it to us says, check out the new web function. What does that even mean? I don't know. And then you responded the best quote of the night, which is, baby boomers, man. Baby boomers. Because you know that's what it's from. It's from a bunch of baby boomers who were just like, man. Okay, so even though like Richard Rohr kind of seared us wrong, how can we fix it? <laughs> Even though we haven't taught the sacraments in a serious way. <laughs> Even though we ourselves have been poorly catechized. And, sorry, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> who is it that I was talking to who basically decried NFCYM? Who was that? Me? that we, it was, no, it was, uh, was it you on the show? Yeah, at one point in time, I wouldn't do the Oh, no, but... that's right. Oh, Luke, that was an example of me forgetting you were there. <laughs> you literally everyone does this about me. they go do you remember this one time when this guy got to a fight during a flag football game that was me i the guy hit me in the back and i flipped out i was there <laughs> you're like no uh, maybe <laughs> hey if you click resources and then go to families it says it takes you to a page that says uh, strong Catholic family. Stay tuned. This page is coming soon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> really, NFCYM exists to throw one big conference. The views expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect the views of their employer. Yeah, yeah, yes, that's very true. But since we all agree, we all agree to that, isn't that a weird thing? And they don't have the authority of the bishops. They freaking. <sighs> they don't. Ha- I thought they were a part of the USCCB. They do not have the authority of the bishops. They act like they do. 
So they what don't. are they? They're just an, they're just an organization who exists to make a bunch of baby boomers feel good about their flawed theology. <laughs> I don't, this is the problem, though. I wish I didn't. I wish I didn't have because I, do you think the time has come to start to call out certain groups? Uh, I think it's coming very quickly, and I think catching foxes is just that instrument. But like, okay, okay. Let me ask you this: Like, we both have issues with a group, perhaps, or a thing like NFCYM. Do is it wrong for us to talk about it on the podcast and not to their face? Huh? I don't. Do they have a face? Do they have? Okay, so I, I have not had the opportunity yet, but I might. Oh, but I think you should. Yeah, so that, I don't that, have any opportunities for them. I just know that right, I'm starting to now possibly have that. I'm like, okay, now it's time to put up or shut up. But I also want to be, but I just, it's like when I, like, I was really hit very strongly about probably six months ago. Like, God really put on my heart. Like, Luke, if you don't like tell these people about me, like, they're going to be so pissed off at you in hell. I know it sounds crazy, but like no, I one hundred percent believe that. Like, how horrible it means to deprive people of the gospel. Yeah, you know, of like what, and, and and like not even of like like oh, like could have been, you know, I I mean like what it means to be like Hanfman Balthazar talks about this, like what it means to be a person, like what is the purpose of our existence, and we're denying people that, and um. And I just look at certain groups in the church, especially things in the American church post Vatican II, and I just get so angry because we've denied people their um, humanity because we've abandoned Christ. Yeah. Because we, I'm essentially like, I really do struggle with when do, how do I bring this up? Because I do feel like it's very easy for us to do it here because there's we're not like talking to them. So if there's anyone from NFCYM who would want to come on our show and actually like to talk about this, I would love to. I really, really would. Um, because I, I don't know. I don't know, man. It just really makes me mad. What specifically makes you mad about it? So there's this quote from the guy who started communion and liberation where he says Romano, not Romano, Luigi Giussani. Yeah, yeah. The world, sorry, the church abandoned humanity because they became ashamed of Christ. Yeah. And I think that's very true in the American church post Vatican II that we became, we thought it was, you know, that the gospel was maybe too harsh or, or the way, you know, and, and there are people that like, I know who were really angry when they learned that God was like a loving God, not a God who's like, it was like over them going like, you're going to go to hell if you do this, that, and that, which is what they were like raised for like part of their youth to understand that God is being this thing that, you know, you couldn't really touch, but to be deathly scared of. So I get that, but we've abandoned a humanity. And I, I've experienced that within my own life and people that like, I that like I love and care about who, have basically been denied the gospel or they've been abandoned because people have abandoned Christ because we just want to be accepted or we want to be loved or we want to, I don't know. It just drives me nuts. That's the problem with it. So this one guy makes a statement where he says, let's say that a king had a bride. He loved her. He dressed her in white. She was pure and precious to him. And the people admired her her for her virtue, for her merit. 
And the king has to go on a long journey. And so he, he uh, tells his steward, he calls his steward in and he says, here are the directions and you are to care for my bride. You do not deviate from this, not, not one jot or tittle. And when I come back, you'll be rewarded or I'll come back and you will be severely punished. Keep this book, these instructions with regard to her. Well, after a few years, this steward realizes that the people are losing their loyalty in the king. And they're no longer concerned about the bride because, well, she's just prudish. She's old fashioned. So he takes her and dresses, takes off her beautiful white garment and replaces it with something really sensual paints her face like a prostitute and then marches her up and down the kingdom and uses this new look to attract carnal men back into the kingdom. When that king comes back, there, there are no words to describe what he will do to that steward. And when Jesus Christ comes back, there are no words to describe what he will do to many of these men who call themselves pastors who have done to his bride exactly what the steward did in that parable I just told. And he says, and then he says, when the king shows up and sees what you've done to his bride, how do you think he's going to feel? And this was a Calvinistic Baptist talking about Ooh. the evangelical church. I love it. Right. And his whole thing is, so what did you do? You went out into the world and you took a little bit of their lighting and a little bit of their concert music and a little bit of this. And because you don't have the Holy Spirit, You've supplemented the Holy Spirit with a whore, and you call her the church. And you know what? I think we, we, it's, we still, it's possible to do that under the guise of orthodoxy. Yes. And there's a group that, I'm, that I really want to name, but I probably shouldn't. I think they're doing that. I think it's really dangerous. It's really, really bad. Yeah. One of the things that I'm, I'm with their lights, their cameras, and their music. Sorry, go on. Uh, one of the things that I'm seeing also <laughs> is the reliance on, and I think you would agree with me, the reliance on experts to solve the real problem of a lack of sanctity in the church. The mm -hmm. reliance on sociology, psychology, you know, whatever, entertainment or whatever, <laughs> and um, I feel like in my bones, like there's this whole notion of. Um, that we're going to go outside of the church in order to get the answers for what's going on. in the That's church. why. Yep. Like if the church could learn a lot from business and I'm like, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> the church can learn, learn a lot from her, from herself and her uh, a tradition and her, her history and Jesus. Who? who? Jesus. Oh, he hasn't yeah. been allowed in the church for years. <laughs> we put him in the back room, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's this line from uh, Isaiah. I can't remember where it is, but he's like, uh, let's see if I can find it. But he says, um, oh, I think I have it. And he says, uh, the disciples of Isaiah, bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples, dot, dot, dot. And when they say to you, consult the mediums and the wizards who chirp and mutter, should not the people consult their God? Should they not consult the dead? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living. And this, it, to me, it's fascinating. This, I heard this guy take that analogy and say, you know, we're going after sociologists and psychologists saying, how do we be the church? And he says, the church is the bride of Christ. You can't go anywhere outside of Christ to find out what bride he desires. And yet here we are. Luke, we started talking about death. 
and and getting old and now we're talking about the church and getting pissed off about our ministry (laughs) (laughs) the more things change the more they stay the same marriage is what point us all right let's close down i gotta close it luke can i close it for you uh sure okay you can find luke at the luke v you can find me at lay evangelist you can find us at cat is it c fox's podcast on twitter yes Okay, I want to thank especially people who pledge $5 or more on Patreon. We got Jason and Nikki Carter, CatholicBomb.co, Catholic Bomb Company, Stephanie Gromko, Maria Walther, Keith Strom, Mikey Needleman, Matt Fred, Rebecca Murphy, Isaiah Coffrin, Justin, oh crap, this is going to suck, Justin Demois, Laura Holly, Tony Henley, E.J. LeBlanc, who you can hear in our live episode of Deacon Baldi's, Jimmy Bagwell, Kyle Connison, that Catholic couple, mother, <laughs> Guinevere, Christian, you're awesome. She's actually the one who expressed the most to get us to, to do uh, <laughs> Patreon. Um, Matthew, Matthew, you, yeah, a guy with an awesome last name that starts with the letter U. And then uh, that's it. Those are all the people who pledge that we've actually debited new credit cards. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Seriously, from from the bottom of our hearts, uh, this means a lot. You are beautiful no matter what they say. Their words can't hold you down. And I just want to say something really really quick. Um, I know, like, like, please, I don't want anyone to think that we think that we're, like, way better than people at, like, the groups that we don't. Uh, Like, we're horrible sinners in desperate need of God's, God's grace. So if we cross the line, sorry. Yeah. I mean, my biggest thing is uh, if we don't, if, if no one talks about it, when will it ever change? Yeah. And, and honestly, if we don't talk about this on our show, I won't change because I have changed the way I do youth ministry since April 20th, 2015, which is when we first launched our first episode. With the two year anniversary is coming up, Luke. April 20th, no. 420, baby. 420. 420. Oh, it's a horrible day. We're going to go to... We should, probably, we should probably pick a different day for an anniversary. <laughs> Why? Uh, a lot of bad stuff happened oh, yeah. on April Was that like Hitler's birthday, Columbine? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, we uh, should, yeah, that's not... Uh... Thank you so <laughs> much for listening. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for give listening. And... Oh, if you can, please give us a like and a review on uh, iTunes. It helps. Apparently iTunes is doing likes now. (laughs) Shut up, you know what I meant.